You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, in your worship guide, you should have had a insert, and you'll notice it said uh, it was talking about the Gideons and the opportunity for us to participate in this great ministry. I have really gotten attached to this ministry. I'm learning so much more about it than I thought I knew. I knew a lot about this ministry, but I know now the foundations, the beginnings. It's over 120 years old. It has a miraculous beginning in a hotel room with three businessmen. And it just, it, it just goes from that little humble beginning to today with tens of thousands of Gideons all across the world in over 200 countries uh, giving out, and I'll let, I'm going to steal Otis's thunder in just a minute if I give too many stats because I know I'm up here because I've had the privilege of speaking at three state conventions this year for the Gideons. And I am excited about presenting to our church opportunities to get attached as a church to this ministry, another ministry in the community of Hot Springs that is really fulfilling in many ways the message that you're going to hear in this sermon, this this number two sermon in this series. But before we do that, I want to tag team with Otis for a moment. I heard his testimony this morning. It's brief, but it's powerful. Otis, would you come and share with us a little bit? Our very own Otis Pressler, would you greet him this morning and thank him for his service in the Gideons? I love you. Thank you. A little harder to get off than I thought there, you Otis. There you go. Thank you. By the way, I'll be 78 in September. (laughs) Cigarettes, whiskey, and wild women. Now, that song was written before most of you were ever born. And I'd ask how many would remember that song, but if you're old enough, I'm afraid you wouldn't want us to know that you remember that song. (laughs) Not too long ago, Dennis Donnelly who was, at the time, vice president of Gideon's International Worldwide, was asked to give a, a Gideon message, like I'm attempting to do here this morning, in a church in Kansas. And uh, he was following the main speaker, which was a, a missionary from South, uh, South America. Uh, the missionary finished his talk and his message, and uh, Dennis got up and gave his Gideon message. And uh, as Dennis sat down, the missionary got up again. And uh, said, how far will one word of witness go? And he told this story. A man by the name of Leonard Sly was born in a Midwestern coal mining town years ago. He did not want to become a coal miner like the rest of his family, so he decided to go to California and get involved in entertainment and the movie industry. And he started a music group called Sons of the Pioneers. And that was Roy Rogers. Changed his name, Roy Rogers. Some of you remember that. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Most of the songs written by the Sons of the Pioneers was written by Tim Spencer, who wrote Room Full of Roses, Cigarettes, Whiskey, and Wild Women. He could write that song because he was an expert in cigarettes and whiskey and wild women. One Lonely Night in a Hotel Room. Tom Spencer opened up a Gideon Bible that had been placed there by a Gideon. 
and found the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And you can look at the songs he started writing, and they changed, of course, completely. Not only did the songs that he was writing change, he started a, a Christian music publication company called Nana Publications. Some of you know who that is. Uh, we'll recognize that. Not too long after they were going, his, son was, his sons were involved in, in uh, his company with him, and one of the sons came to him and said, By the way, Dad, a man by the name of uh, Stuart Kine has written a song, and I think we could do something with that song. So they published it, and George Beverly Shea picked it up. <laughs> it was How Great Thou Art. It was one of the songs that they're well known for. And the missionary continued to ask, just how far will one word of witness go? He said, because someone paid for that Bible that was in a room that uh, Tom Spencer found. And because a Gideon placed that Bible as a word of witness, said, my grandfather, Tom Spencer, was faithful to me. And because of that, I've been a missionary in South America all these years. So the question is, how far will one word of witness go? Gideon's. You know about the Gideons. You've heard, heard, heard the pastor talk about it. We, we have, most of you don't know, we only have one purpose as Gideons. That's winning the lost, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's our only purpose. Now, we do it in several ways. You know it. You know we place the Bibles. But we also, we also teach and encourage the, the men and women in the, in the Gideons to learn how to use this New Testament to witness, to bring people to, to, the, to, to the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. Right now, we are... Uh, uh, we're placing in, in the neighborhood of 150,000 Bibles a day. We're working since we've been in, in uh, uh, business of handing out Bibles. Uh, we're working on our third billion Bibles. And if you'll feel your heartbeat, 150,000 Bibles a day, feel that heartbeat, that thump, thump. That's two Bibles every heartbeat. That's, that's what 150,000 Bibles will do. And that's what you're able to do through the Gideon ministry. There are four things that I'm, that I'm asking you to do with, do with the Gideons and do for the Gideons. First and foremost, pray for open doors. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the Gideons that are in danger right now in some of these 200 countries where it's against the law to witness to a Muslim. Pray for the ministry. By the way, I just found out this week that one of the church chains here in Hot Springs, Nationwide Change, has closed its doors to the Gideon ministry. They're taking all the Bibles out. When you go to a hotel, if there's a Bible in that room, let the management know and thank them for that. If there's not, let them know that you expect to see a Bible in that room. That's the reason they're taking them out, because the Christians are not asking for them. The people who don't want them are saying, don't put them there. Do that for the ministry. Pray, pray for this ministry. The second thing you can do for the Gideons is you can be a Gideon. We'll talk about that more in, in the time to come, but what a wonderful ministry for a husband and wife team. We have several Gideon organizations right here in Garland County. Three of them, in fact. The village has one hotel. <laughs> the camp that I belong to in this part. You know how many, how many hotels we have to serve? <laughs> 26. 26 hotels that we place the Bibles in. Plus, we place Bibles in the nursing homes. We place the Bibles in the doctor's offices and in the hospitals. We have a large ministry here that you as a husband and wife team could be a very vital part of. And we'll talk about that more as the time comes. So the second thing you do is pray about be, becoming part of this, this ministry yourself. The third thing you can do to help us is to remember the in-memory in Bible plan. The hotels 
tell us that uh, in the six years lifespan of a Bible that's in the hotel, in the six years' time, about 2,500 people will go through that room. 25 people, 2,500 people have an opportunity to, to be witness to because of one Bible in that room. When my wife passed in February, up to now, there's over 200 Bibles been placed in her memory. How many souls are being witnessed to right now? Through cards that have been placed in memory of, of my wife. The fourth area that you can be helpful to the Gideons is you can help us pay for these Bibles. Pastor mentioned that already, and I'll talk about that more later on. But, oh, gosh, thanks. You know, we praise the Lord. We're able, we, we buy so many Bibles that the average cost of a, of a Bible worldwide is $1.20. Can you imagine that? Now, how many is God asking you to take care of? We are still fortunate to be able to get in classrooms in many, many of the schools in, in Arkansas, not in Hot Springs. But a classroom set of Bibles would run about $40. We, we ship Bibles around the world, 100 to a case. That's one minute's worth of ministry, by the way. 100 Bibles is one minute's worth of ministry. 100 to a case, $1.20, you know, it's $120. That's a, my prayer today is that you will ask God in the, in the next moments through, the, through the, the, the sermon, Dear Lord, how many Bibles do you want, us to take, do you want me to pay for? How many Bibles do you want me to help? Also be open to what you'll be hearing from us in times to come about an opportunity to become part of this ministry. We would welcome you into that. Pastor, thank you so much for allowing the Gideons to be a part of this church. We continue to pray for you and this, this, uh, this church here at Gospel Light. God bless. Thank you. Great job. Man, that was awesome. Woo! The testimonies are just amazing. I love those testimonies. Uh, I just... Uh, I'm always just blown away by how God works, just one soul at a time. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be hearing more about that later, and at the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity to kind of attach an, uh, an opportunity for you to give or buy some of those Bibles at the very end. So be, be thinking and praying. Philemon, you're in that letter. We've been talking about this letter here for a week now, two weeks today, and we're kind of giving it a title. We're giving this letter a, a theme, if you will, and that is... Paul is speaking life into these two men, Philemon and Onesimus. So how does that look this morning? Well, let's start with a passage of Scripture, shall we? Look in verse 8. Let's read this little passage through. We, we started in verse 1, went through verse 7. Today, verse 8, and let's travel through verse 16. So pay attention. Let's get on board with this. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ... To command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, though, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but 
more than a slave as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Let me start with this thought. You know, I was thinking about friendship and, and, and the friends that God's given me in, in my lifetime. And so I took some time over the past couple of weeks preparing this message and to think about some of those friends. And you know, at, as I finished that, that, that part of this message, this introduction, I came to this conclusion that I think that I have every single friend that I've ever had. I'm not in touch with every single friend that I've ever had, but I think I still have them all. I thought back to when I was 13 years old living in New Orleans, Louisiana, and attending a Catholic school where a young man by the name of Robbie Robertson attended. It's a long story. It's a cute story. It's got a lot of twists and turns to it. I've told it here years ago. I should tell it again. But briefly, Robbie was kind of a school nerd, and nobody hung out with Robbie. I remember Robbie had a mole on his cheek. It was about the size of a nickel. It had hairs that grew out of that mold, and... He didn't seem to bother him, but everybody made fun of that mold and and just made fun of Robbie, ostracized him. He became an outcast. He would eat lunch every day by himself. But something inside of me had compassion on him, and I said, you know, I'm going to eat lunch with Robbie. And when I did and decided to embrace him as a friend, I lost every friend I had in that school, and I kind of became an outcast. But it didn't matter. I knew I made the right decision. Robbie and I became close friends for that year. And though I was kind of the more popular athletic person in the school, um, it, it didn't matter to me that I had kind of lost that group of, of, of haters and I had embraced a young man whom God had placed in my life. I wasn't saved. I moved away from New Orleans and came to Arkansas and got saved. And I didn't see Robbie for about 26 years. I went back to New Orleans. We had a teen winter retreat. I went back to my hometown to, to enjoy that with our young people and and I decided to call Robbie and just see if he was still in town. Come to find out he owned a computer store. And to make a long story short, I called him and he met me in the French Quarter. We had lunch together and I led Robbie to Jesus Christ at lunch that day. You know what's interesting is Robbie and I never missed a beat. When we got back together that day after 26 years, all we talked about was our high school memories. And we talked about some of those moments that we were uncomfortable together in the lunchroom. And he was being made fun of. And we, we, it was just like we never, ever missed one day together. And it had been 26 years. Carl Delaney was a friend of mine. Carl was a member of our church for years. And I grew up with Carl. And Carl had gotten called to preach as a young man when I got called to preach, but Carl made some different choices and decided to, to kind, kind of go a different path and than I had gone, and I went a different path than Carl had gone, and we ended up in two very different places as far as our lifestyles, but we were very, very close and still best friends. Yesterday, I was giving a tour to 12 new students here at Champion, and and one of the dads, had, one of the, one of the uh, mentors had come with one of the young men to visit the school here at Champion, and I asked him where he was from. He said, I'm from Marmaduke, Arkansas. I said, really? Anybody know where Marmaduke, Arkansas? Anybody ever heard of Marmaduke, Arkansas? All right, about six of you have, all right. He said, I'm the mayor of Marmaduke, Arkansas. I said, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I've never met the mayor of Marmaduke, Arkansas. I said, do you know that the man that led me to Christ is from Marmaduke, Arkansas? He said, who is it? I said, Glenn Riggs. He said, I know Glenn Riggs. He's preached many revivals in our city. I've actually heard him preach. I said, that's incredible. And then I said, you know, my best friend was from Marmaduke. He said, what's his name? 
I said, Carl Delaney. He said, Carl's a legend in Marmaduke, Arkansas. Man, he said that. He said he died way too young, didn't he? And I said, he sure did. He, I, I was the preacher in, at his funeral. And I said, it was sad that he died so young because of some of those choices. But, man, he was a great guy. You know, I think about uh, Will Pryor. Andrew Pryor was a graduate of Champion Christian College. And, and, and Will was his dad. And, and, and so a lot of times you, you get close to these parents as they come to visit their kids. You know, it just happens. And Will was one of those dads that I had just gotten close to because his son played basketball for the Tigers. And we would always sit together and cheer, you know, cheer the team on together. And we became very close. Well, we haven't seen each other in like maybe 10, 12 years. I preached in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and Will came to hear me preach. And when he did, we ended up going out to eat after. And I got back to the hotel at way past midnight. And I said, Will, man, We're getting older, buddy. We can't stay out this late. He said, oh, no. He said, I'd stay out as late as I could, man. I miss you so much. And I said, you know, Will, I'm not tired either if you want to talk some more. I didn't realize how much I missed your friendship. Charlie Clark was a friend that I had. And he was one of those friends that I I, I felt like because of our changes at our church and some of the choices that we made to become a little bit more of a community church and a little less of the, you know, just isolated church. When I made that decision, there were a lot of friends that kind of just walked away from close fellowship. And I missed those friends. And two years ago, I was on vacation and traveling through the Northeast and, and Charlie called me. He heard, he saw somebody posted something on social media and hadn't talked to Charlie really in probably 10 years. And he said, Hey man, you want to go to Starbucks and have coffee? And for four hours, We talked, and we didn't talk about our differences. We talked about the things we had in common. And even though we had differences, I really realized I hadn't lost him as a friend. Guy by the name of Paul Worley. I played football when I was 13 years old. I didn't play much football. I didn't play since I was 13. But when I was 13, I was the center for the Metairie Blue Devils. The quarterback was Paul Worley. And any time for an entire year, a guy puts his hand right near your butt, you get to know him really well. I went to visit New Orleans a couple of years ago, and my dad said, hey, Paul wants to, wants to meet up with you. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm 53 years old. And I said, Dad, Paul, Paul, Paul who? He said, Paul Worley, the quarterback for the Metro Blue Devils. I said, I haven't seen Paul in 40-something years. He said, oh, man, he, just, he, he, he said you were the best teammate he's ever had. Sonny wants to hang out with you. And Paul and I had some time together, and we, rec- we, we recalled some of those games, the cookie bowl that we won by one point because I recovered a fumble. We had some great times. Remember my stepbrother, Darren Harshaw, who my mom had remarried, and, and he, he was my stepbrother, him and Clinton. Darren died uh, way too young. We buried him, had the funeral right here in this church, but we were so close even after his father died. But Clint, his brother, my stepbrother, still calls me to this day. He's a country boy, lives out in the woods somewhere in Carolina. I don't even know where it's at. I just know every time he calls me, he's killed something. You know, he's like, hey, I killed a dog today. I killed a squirrel today. I killed. He's so cut. I am the farthest thing from country you've ever seen. I'm almost afraid of a gun. You know, I don't even know how to hunt. But I will tell you this. My stepbrother still calls and loves me and likes to tell me about the stuff he's killed in the woods. And I rejoice with him. We're still friends. Once a friend, always a friend. There's rocky roads. And there are some friends that I wish would be friends with me. But they won't anymore even though I'm willing to be friends with them. I'm still waiting, still willing. But I want to share with you one thing that I've experienced as a senior pastor that's been somewhat devastating to me. And it's the fact 
that Christians burn bridges and reject relationships and have a forget you attitude. And I believe it's, it's wrong. Actually, I believe it's sick and it's not Christian at all. Now, our main goal this morning is very specific. It's very narrow. It's, it's really one focus. You know, sometimes when I preach here at Gospel Light, it's a broad message. And I find that people will come to me and say, you know, it's really that, that first thought. It was that story or that illustration or that part of the message that I, I really got the most out of. But this morning, it's not going to be that way. It's, it's singular. It's one thought. It's one focus. It's, I'm going to bring you to a place of decision And I pray that God will speak to your heart in the next 25 or 30 minutes. Last week, we talked about three things that might be good to kind of come up to be brought up to date to remind you of the three challenges that Paul gave Philemon in the first seven verses of the letter. We find that he said, be thankful for every person and every circumstance in your life. The second challenge was I must focus on the positive in others and not the negative. And the third challenge was that I want to focus on the good that others do and not the wrong that others do. And we find that's what Paul did. He was about to challenge Philemon in his letter, and we're going to see the challenge this morning. But prior to the challenge, he was real positive, he was encouraging, he was very uplifting. But all of a sudden, there's a transition in the message. He's trying to reconcile Onesimus to Philemon, and he's got something he wants to say to bring these guys back together. Let me begin with this statement in your notes. True friends... Build bridges between others, not walls. That's a true friend. So let's look at these five principles of bridge building. And we'll see them all in this text. The first one comes from verse 8 and 9. And it is this. Principle number one. Operate from love, not law. Operate from love, not law. Look at verse number 8. And you'll begin to see how this unfolds in the story. It's an amazing little letter. And God put this letter in the Bible because it was important. Let's read verse 7 just so it makes sense. He says, For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Oh, he went on to really brag on Philemon in in those first seven verses. And here he says, Man, I I tell you, you are a lover, buddy. You've refreshed me so many times by your love. And then he says, Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ. There's a transition here. It's almost as if you can begin to sense that Paul is beginning to to challenge him to make this point. And the first thing he says here is this. I'm bold enough in Christ. In other words, I could come at you pretty strong because what I'm about to say is in Christ. You know what I found that when we have the Bible to back us up, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? It feels good to know that what you believe is in God's word. And it feels good to know that when you do stand for Christ, when you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, when you do all things through Christ, which strengthens you, everything, when you, when you're in Christ, there is a measure of boldness that goes along with that. But there's a danger too. It's the, it's, it's the brutality of righteousness. It's the fact that you can be really brutal when you're right. When you know you're right, especially pastors, especially Christians. Growing up, I remember when the pastor was right, sometimes he would get so bold, he would actually say with, with a vein coming out of his neck and spit coming out of his mouth, if you don't like it, you can lump it. 
And I would sit there as a 14-year-old kid and think, oh, that was mean. That was brutal. I mean, yeah, he's right. I mean, it, it does say that in the Bible, but you can lie. if you don't like it, you can lump it. Or, or, or here's, here's a famous one I grew up with. Bless God, if you don't like it, there's another church in town. The door swings both ways. Ooh. But I never drank the Kool-Aid, church. I never drank the Kool-Aid. I always thought that was whacked. I always thought the dude was in the flesh. I never thought that was spiritual. I really didn't. I, I thought, well, well I, I can forgive that dude, but I don't want to be that way. God, help us to speak truth with a tender heart. But Paul says, you know what? I could handle it a certain way. But then he says, look at it. Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, I could command you to do this, yet for love's sake. I prefer to appeal to you. He says here, I'm not going to avoid the subject. I'm not going to sweep this under the rug. By the way, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't sweep things under the rug. Love doesn't avoid the subject. That's not loving. Love is not an excuse to avoid the issue. Love has nothing to do with if we act. Love has everything to do with how we act. And so we see here he's acting in love because he says, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. That word appeal there is an interesting word. It means gentleness. I prefer to approach you in a gentle way. And that's the way we ought to approach everybody in the Christian life. Our children, our spouse, uh, our our fellow church members, our our employees, employers. We, We should follow this pattern in Scripture as Paul is reconciling two brothers who are very much at apart from one another, who, who are afraid to be together, who are critical of one another. But Paul is trying to build a bridge here, and he knows the way to do it is not to be ugly and mean about it, but, but to be loving and kind and gentle, but not to avoid it. But notice the firmness as well. He's still firm. Notice he says here in that same verse, and I love this, I appeal to you for, uh, rather, uh, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, do you see that? I, Paul... Verse 9, an old man. That's the first little poke, Doug. That's a poke. I, Paul, an old man. You know what I think Paul's saying there, Doug? I think he's saying, hey, Paul. I mean, hey, hey, Philemon. I've lived a long time. What I'm about to tell you, I've learned from experience. I'm an old man. I'm not trying to stuff this down your throat, but I do encourage you to listen to what I have to say. Uh, This is not my first rodeo, Philemon. I'm an old man. I'm also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's another poke. Same verse. I'm an old man, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In other words, I sense here that what he's saying is this. When he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he is saying, while you sit back in your lazy boy recliner watching ESPN, And drinking your iced tea and eating your Chick-fil-A sandwich. While you do that, Philemon, and by the way, enjoy. I'm in prison. And I'm in prison for doing the right thing. So before you complain about having to make up with Onesimus, just remember, I'm really not asking all that much. Sometimes I wonder why we complain. Jesus gave it all. He's not really asking all that much from us. 
he died on the cross for our sins, and he asks us like to give things like 10%, and he asks us to be faithful to church. And, or maybe we have a hard time forgiving someone. Could it be that we've forgotten that Jesus forgave us of all of our sins? I think that's what Paul was saying here. Hey, I'm in prison. I'm just asking you to make a little sacrifice. I'm making a big sacrifice. Could you make a little one? It's just a little, little bitty sacrifice. Could you just get this thing right with a brother? It's not that big a deal. Wow. He's poking here just a little bit, isn't he? He's not commanding. He's not demanding. He, he's gently pleading because love pleads, but law demands. And we see Paul pleading here. It makes all the difference in the world how, how the response of the person is. I told Cody before the service, I, I was going to tell a little bit of story. And, and Cody, Cody Connor, he said, yeah, preacher, you can tell it. It's all good. So I just want you to know, I won't tell a story about you unless I ask you. <laughs> but Cody's competitive. You ever played ball with Cody? You know Cody. He's competitive. He wants to win, amen? By the way, I like that. That's a good trade, amen? So he was, he's real competitive. Well, they were playing in the, in the men's league, right? And so Travis, where you at, Travis? So Travis, remember that, that I think it was your elbow or something, hand, and he, he hit Cody pretty hard and, and drew blood. Now, Travis and Cody are buds. They're friends. But let me tell you, when you're playing against each other and you get hit accidentally in the game and, and you're bleeding, can everybody talk to me right now? Amen? You don't just come out of that and say, thank you, brother. God bless you. Anytime. Got a Band-Aid? You know, I mean, you don't do that. You, you, at first, especially when you're competitive, it's almost like, oh, you know, and you're like, I, I love this guy, but I want to pop him one. Well, I was talking to Mo about it, and Mo said it was an intense moment. And I said, how'd you handle it? And he said, well, Dad, here's how I handle it. Mo was Paul in this story. Travis and Cody were Philemus, Philemon and Onesimus. Actually, Travis, you would have been Onesimus in this story. <laughs> Mo said, I just walked over to Cody, put my arm around him and said, it's going to be okay, bud. It's fine. Just calm down. It's all good. I know you're hurt. It's gonna, you're fine. You're going to be okay. And he, he said, I just spoke gently to him. He said, he was fine. He got over it. He was good, Dad. He said, I knew the thing I didn't need to do was just either get upset with him or, or even rip him and say, get over it, bud. Get tough, man. What's wrong with you? You know, you're an adult. No, no. Just love him. Put my arm around him. Calm him down. And everything was great. Now, they're not sitting together in church, so they're struggling just till a little... No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. Are you with me on this? Do you see that? My point is this, is that sometimes I think we forget how important it is for us to operate from love and not law. Number two, believe that God changes people. Do you believe that God changes people? Do you believe that God changes people in your family? Do you believe that God changes people that you know? Hey, do you believe that God changes people that you go to church with, like your pastor? Yeah. Listen, a little reminder here for those of you that are kind of wondering where I'm going with this. How many of you are different than you were a few years ago by the uplifted hand? Amen. That should be everybody if you're a believer. We all should be growing. We all should be able to look back on our life and say, yeah, I used to have a lot worse temper than I have now. We all should be able to look back and say, yeah, I used to struggle with this a lot more than I am now. I'm growing. God's changing me. I can say, yeah, I used to pastor a lot different than I pastor now. I used to make decisions a lot different than I make decisions now. The problem is we don't want to believe that somebody can change. And so we don't reconcile. But God changes people. 
You'll never be a bridge builder until you really believe that God is in the business of changing people. Look at verse number 10 of our text real quickly here. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Why, would, why did he say he was his child? Here's why. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's the, that's the wording there that we understand that, that Paul led Onesimus to Christ. In other words, he was, his, he was his spiritual dad, if you will. He was the man that God used to bring him to Christ. And he says, I led this man to Christ. He's the fruit of my suffering. And he lets him know that he has a relationship with him. And then he says this. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I love that, that little phrase, but now. But now. Amen? That's where everything changes. But now. He, he, was, he was useful, and then he became useless. I get it. He made a mistake. He blew it. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not putting, pulling, uh, you know, I'm not blinded by this. I'm not trying to say, well, you know, he never did anything. No, no, he blew it. He was an idiot. He really, he was a fool. He made bad mistakes. I get it. But guess what? God changed him. He's a different person. He was useful, then useless. Now he's useful again. And guess what? He might be useless again, but he'll be useful. How many of you had ups and downs in life? How many, amen, me too. How many of you, it's been a rocky road. It's been a rocky road for all of us in one way or another. And he says Onesimus had been useless, but God was at work in his life. God was changing him. Now he is useful. Our attitude sometimes, we need to be careful with this. Yeah, but I know that guy. I really know him. So, God changes him. God changes people. You got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you'll be cynical the rest of your life. You'll have that attitude the rest of your life. How important is it for the church of Jesus Christ to be immersed in grace? Can you have too much grace? Aren't you glad that the grace of Jesus flowed from that cross in the form of the blood of Jesus Christ so he can cleanse us of all of our sin? It's absolutely essential that we really believe God changes people. I never forget, I told the story this morning because Joe and Tiffany were sitting on the front row and they're a beautiful picture of God's grace, their marriage, the whole bit. If you didn't know this, my son married uh, Tiffany. She was married previously. Her husband died in a tragic car accident that involved some alcohol and left two boys and they now call Joe their, their earthly daddy and they know that Chris is their heavenly daddy. I remember when Tiffany came to Arkansas because she had left Chris because he was living in an inappropriate way. And she, she left him, didn't divorce him. She just left him and came to Arkansas. That's when I met her. I met her and the boys. And I thought, man, this is this amazing story here. And I didn't know that God would have me get involved until Ken Carney said, would you, would you counsel him and my son? Because my son, after I think four months of actually living the wildlife in L.A., decided he was going to try to get his wife back. So he moved back to Arkansas. And Tiffany was willing to give it a shot. So my wife and I began to counsel them. And I, wanted, I want you to know, God changed Chris. It was amazing. And their marriage began to, to get better. It wasn't perfect, by the way. Is anybody's marriage perfect here? Anybody got a perfect marriage? Because we need you on staff. Bad. <laughs> anyway, 
But they, they were getting better. They, they started going to church. Tiffany started uh, becoming more involved. They became involved in Teen Revolution. And, oh, he had, some, he had some demons in his life, some things that would show up its ugly head every now and then. But, but overall, I could see God changing him. And then there came this time where he went on this mission trip to Peru. And his dad even said it was like he was called to the mission field. He can speak the language because he grew up on a foreign field, Chris did. And, and man, it was amazing watching my son, you know, be really the, the, the best missionary on that trip. He comes back and mm, stupid alcohol, you know, made a mistake, goes out, does something stupid, results in him dying. Sad story. I did the funeral for the 900 people at that church. And I remember feeling as if there may have been some naysayers and judgmental people just kind of that would have the idea that he got what he deserved. But the truth of the matter is we all deserve to be punished. We all deserve. Can I say this? It's not about thinking about somebody as they are. It's about recognizing what God is making them. And I want to say this this morning, that I refuse to think of people as I once knew them. The funeral of Chris Carney was not about about that. It was about what God was making him. And by the way, how's God doing with Chris now? Feel pretty good about it? I feel great about it. In fact, Chris is much more spiritual than I'll ever be until I get there. Amen? And even so come, Lord Jesus. The point I'm simply making is this, is that God helped me. He is growing us. He is changing us. We can be so harsh and pharisaical. This attitude that says, well, I'll believe it when the evidence is irrefutable. Really? Please don't admit that. How pharisaical, how unlike Jesus, how harsh. I'll believe it when the evidence is irrefutable. God changes people. You got to believe that. You got to believe it. You got to believe it. Number three, and I got to finish pretty quick here, but. Look at verse 12. Actually, I have a little more time than I thought. I'm still good. Ah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> verse 12. Am I there? Let me get there. Oh, I love this. He says, uh, well, actually, let's, let, yeah, verse 12. I am sending him back to you. Now, I want to stop here and illustrate that statement. Because I can only imagine what Philemon was thinking when he read that statement. So let's, let's act this thing out. How many of you have ever gone to your mailbox and gotten a letter that you were really glad to get? Anybody like that? How many of you seniors, Chloe, how, how excited have you been to go to the mailbox lately? Amen, Ethan? Or was Ethan? Yeah, he's in the last service. How cool. I mean, when you go to the mailbox and you're a senior, all you're looking for is a personal letter to you because you know what's in it. Amen. You could care less what they wrote. You just want to know what's that check say. Hallelujah. All right. Exaggerating just a little bit to make a point. But I, missionary Scott, you've been there, right? Let's just face it. It's fun to get a letter where you know, man, somebody's going to bless you. So he goes out to his mailbox, Scott, and he, he's got a letter and he pulls it out. And he throws away the junk mail. Do you throw it? Everybody throw away junk mail? Everybody do that? I do. I mean, if it's not personal, if it's from, you know, the company that I got one from like every day this week, you know, or the life insurance company or whatever, you know, or the credit card company. So you throw all that away. Finally, you get Paul, a Roman prisoner. Philemon. Martha! Martha! Paul wrote us a letter! And, and, and Paul sits down and Martha yells, well, what, what, what's it say? Oh, Martha, I'm opening it up here. Oh, 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend, Martha. He still, he still knows we're dear friends. It's beautiful. And grace to you and peace from God our Father. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in it. Oh, Martha, this is beautiful. You got to come see it, Martha. Oh, for I have great joy and encouragement from your love. Oh, Paul, I feel the same way about you because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through your brother. Oh, I love you, brother, too. For this reason, although I have great boldness, in Christ, to command you to do what is right? I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now a prisoner, appeal to you for my son. Onesimus! What? Paul! What? Fathered him while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to... Martha! Onesimus is coming back! Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine how Philemon must have felt to read that letter and get to that part where this thief, this traitor, in his eyes? Principle number three, expect the best from people. I think Paul expected Philemon to respond differently than I just illustrated. (laughs) I really do. Paul is putting pressure on Philemon. Why? Because Paul knows that if he puts pressure on him, there's a chance. And and he believed that he would repent. Because sincere repentance always bears fruit in restitution. The only way that you can truly get right with a brother or sister in Christ is when you truly repent. And you can't just be right with God. You have to be right with the person. I think there's a lot of people that use that I'm right with God statement and they're not right with other people. Hey, you're not right with God then. Don't, too, don't take too much credit about being right with God if you're not right with the person. And so Paul here is appealing to Philemon. Get it right, buddy. Get it right. I challenge you to do this. I'm going to send him back to you. The prodigal son sought, he was repented and then he was brought back with his father. Paul put the challenge out there because he believed the best about Philemon. And we should expect others to want to reconcile. We should expect them to do the right thing. We should expect them to do what God desires regardless of the cost. I've tried to raise my kids with this thought. Hey guys, okay, you got a problem with a teacher, a coach, a youth pastor, your parents. Expect the best. Well, Dad, they're not going to listen. No, they will listen. Well, how do you know, Dad? Because you're going to expect them to listen. You're going to go to them thinking they really want to get this thing right. They want to, to seek restitution. We go into it with a negative attitude instead of expect. That's what I do every Sunday. Every Sunday I step behind this pulpit. And if you don't feel this way, I guess you could tell me, but I appreciate it if you wouldn't because I'm giving you some serious credit. I really think you want to hear this stuff. I'm really convinced you got up this morning, got dressed, came to church because you wanted me to preach the truth. You don't want me to water it down. You don't want me to to tiptoe through the tulips. You want me to lay it out in love, tell the truth, and you're here. I don't see a lot of people walking out, so I kind of feel like you're staying because you are okay with it. I'm not saying you're comfortable. I'm not saying sometimes the Holy Spirit. In fact, last week, I probably got more emails, more text messages, and more face-to-face conversations where people said to me last week, Wow, that sermon, 
Beat me up a little bit, preacher. I needed that. I didn't feel like I beat them up in a bold, ugly, harsh way. I feel like I just preached the truth in love. And, and so the Holy Spirit can do the rest throughout the week. Amen? Now, I guess a lot of people could start walking out right now and I could be wrong. But I really give you credit. It's fun to preach here. And so I come up here with stuff that's not always easy to say. But, hey, thanks guys for listening. And thanks for doing your best you can do to make the changes in your life to go as a Christian. Why can't we have that attitude? Just believe the best in people. Number four. It's found in verse 13 and 14. And here's the principle. Be willing to make a sacrifice. Look at verse 13 in our text. I love this. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment in the gospel. In other words, listen, here's what he's saying. Very easy to understand. I'm sure you're already there. He said, I would rather keep him with me. That'd be the best thing for me because I'm in prison. I'm alone. I I enjoy his fellowship. I enjoy his company. Onesimus and I have really become good friends since I led him to Christ. But he's getting out early and I'm not. (laughs) And so I thought since he's getting out early, maybe I would go ahead and send him to you. I'd, I'd rather keep him with me. Paul said, I prefer to do nothing, but I'm willing to make the sacrifice. Notice he says, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. You know, sometimes I think we're just so comfortable with the friendship that we're not willing to get uncomfortable to help that friend. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, here's Paul, and he's like, what if he would have had this attitude? Well, Philemon likes me, and Onesimus likes me. And since I'm all that matters, who cares if they hate each other? I mean, they hate each other, it's obvious, but they both love me, and it's all about me. So since they both love me, I don't think I'll get involved. Because one of them might get mad at me, and I'm not willing to take that risk. Go sacrifice. My kids have not always liked what I've had to say, but I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to take the risk and say, I got to tell you something. I know probably not every church member has always been comfortable in church and liked church, but I'm willing to take that risk to not compromise the truth and preach it in love. Amen? My wife and I have had tough conversations in our marriage and And strain and stress in our relationship at times, but we're willing to get through it, fight through it, work through it, so that the sun doesn't go down upon our wrath. Willing to work it out. I've had people have to step into our marriage before and say, Eric or Carol Ann, man, you're going to screw this thing up if you're not, if you don't get things right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I love you enough to talk to you about this. What do I need to do? What's wrong? This is like what happens to believers who love one another. They confront one another. They, that's love. Willing to make a sacrifice. But what if they get mad? What if? But what if they don't talk to me? If you love them and do it in love, it, God will deal with them. You know what's funny? Anybody ever had, like you get on somebody and they kind of, buzz you off, but then you get a text about an hour later. Isn't that cool? Or call, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I appreciate you. 
Look, get through that tenseness, that hard. It's, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm probably freaking half the church. Like, I don't know. Oh, oh, you know, I, 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 I got to talk to this person. I got to, yeah, yeah, that's the right thing to do. It's, it's right to go to the person, to work it out, to help build bridges between relationships. One of the most amazing things that's ever happened in the city of Hot Springs is that the pastors now are getting together. But God had to use somebody like Jim Maxim to build the bridge. And this Philadelphia businessman who's not a preacher, he's not a Baptist, he's just a random dude that came to Arkansas and started loving on preachers and saying, you guys are ridiculous. Why do you not talk to one another? Hey, Eric, what do you mean you're an independent Baptist? That's silly. What are you talking about? Independent. You don't talk to other people. Well, we just kind of have to be careful. Well, that's dumb. They're Christians. Well, I never thought about it that way. You guys need to be praying together. Really? Yeah. He's just like, okay. And now today, you know, I like love a lot of brothers in Christ that I used to not even know. But God used a man to build a bridge. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. Number five, and I'm done. Verse 15 and 16. Here's the final thought. Point to a sovereign purpose. Point to a sovereign purpose. Look at verse number 15 and verse 16. I love this. It's so, this is so awesome. You'll appreciate this. Here's what, what Paul writes. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while. Hey, I've got an idea, Philemon. Maybe Onesimus got thrown into jail because he was a thief. I led him to Christ. I sent him back to you. You forgive him. Now he goes back to work for you. And all of this was for a purpose. Reckon maybe God was working behind the scenes in this awful twisted mess. Do you think God works behind the scenes? Do you think God takes really bad situations and turns them out for good because he's sovereign and he's in control? And that's what was happening here. He says, perhaps that's why he parted me for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Maybe God allowed this hurtful thing to happen to accomplish a greater good. And how many of us in this room can testify to a sovereign God who, who was working in our lives, even though we were screwed up and twisted up and messed up and broken and, and not thinking straight. But all the while, God was just working behind the scenes to accomplish a greater good. Wow. And then have you ever seen someone's relationship get restored and then it's better than ever? This week in my office, I was talking to a, a couple that had experienced adultery in their marriage. And they weren't coming for counseling. They were coming to share the testimony of God's grace in their life. And they both looked at me in that office and said, Preacher, though adultery has ravaged our marriage on both sides, God allowed people to help us work through it. We're celebrating this year 19 years of marriage and we love each other more than we've ever loved each other before. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. It's good to break out sometimes in clapping just because we recognize we need to affirm that. We don't need to sit here and say, okay, am I supposed to say amen to like a couple that committed their adultery and they're back together? Isn't that mean they should have gotten divorced? No. Best case scenario is always restoration. Can I get an amen? 
But even when that doesn't happen, God still has a plan. And there are many blended families today that don't need to feel like they're outcasts. They're just as much a part of this church as any other family. Amen. Because God is in the business of restitution wherever you are at in the relationship. It just takes a level of humility. It takes a cherishing of that relationship. And to think that God can use you and I to bring about that. Wow. That's incredible. So real quick, final thoughts. Number one, here's why we should be a part of this. I'm just going to read these. It's biblical. It's biblical. You say, are you sure? Yes. I just read you the book of Philemon. I'm sure. It's in here. Why did God put this letter in here? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Hey, Paul, that letter that you wrote to Philemon when you were in jail, let's put that in God's word and make it perfect. (sighs) I've never written a perfect letter. But I can't can't imagine today if like somebody else was preaching and they said, open your Bibles to the book of Eric. (laughs) I mean, how cool is that, you know? I've written a lot of letters, but never one that got in God's word. I guess all I'm saying is this. God put this letter in this, in this book called the Bible for a reason. So it's biblical. Number two, people need it. People need this. They need to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. It's the greatest work. It's the work of Christ on the cross. It is amazing. Number three, it brings glory to God. God is glorified in this. He loves it when we are a part of building bridges between saints and sinners, between sinners and the Savior, between the saints and the saints. Any kind of reconciliation, God is in love with that. That brings glory to him. That's why he came. It brings unity. Look what's happened in the city of Hot Springs. Look, look, look what's happened in our church. And then finally, reconciliation is at the center of God's heart. God is all about this. 2 Corinthians 5.18 on the screen. Look at it. It's a great verse. All this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hey, church, I've given you this morning a message. Don't miss this. We're done. It includes the ministry of reconciliation. Think about it, church. What was Otis's testimony all about? The Gideons. What are the Gideons all about? Reconciling sinners to the Savior. That's what that man does when he goes into that hospital, when he goes into that motel room. That Gideon, he puts that Bible there and he says, Oh God, oh God, he prays in that room. Right, Otis? I know he prays because you call me. And don't y'all have prayer in that motel room for every Bible? At least that's what I've been told. And he says, Oh God, Take this Bible and, Father, help the right person to read this Bible. And may they come to know Jesus. Paul, Onesimus, Philemon, the saint, the sinner, the sinner, the Savior. I want to be in the middle of that. I want to be part of that. Put me in the middle. Make me a Gideon. Give me a Bible. Let me give some money this morning to help the ministry of reconciliation. Because this is what it's all about. This morning, Stephen... You were a part of the ministry of reconciliation when you were working at Cracker Barrel and speaking life into Thalia. God used you. You were the intercessor. You were the dude in the middle of Thalia and heaven. And God put Stephen there to befriend you, Thalia, so that you could come hang out at Capaches. 
I wonder, as Paul said, could it be that the whole reason you worked at Cracker Barrel and drank coffee at Capaccio's was so that Stephen's mom could ask you to sit with her and then you could get saved after church? Could it be that all of this has worked out so you could get baptized and, and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? Do you see God's hand in this? We are agents of reconciliation, church. That's what we are, or else we're not right with God. So I'm asking you this morning to join me in this effort. I don't know how it looks for you. It may be a Gideon. It may be that God wants you to be a Gideon, and and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. It may be that God wants you this morning to, to just invite someone to church this week, to befriend someone, to love someone, to mentor someone. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I know this. It's not sit in the pew every Sunday and do nothing. I know that much. So you, 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 you just pray about it this week. It may be that God wants you to call someone and restore a relationship. It may be that God wants you to call someone like Paul did and say, Hey, I, I, I know you're not doing too well with your spouse. Hey, Junior, I, I, Junior I'm just thinking of, not Junior, our Junior, but I'm just thinking of Junior, any kid. Hey, I know you're not at, in good relationship with your parents. Why don't you go home and talk to them? They love you. They love you. No, they don't love me. All my dad does is scream at me. Trust me. Think the best. If you go home, your dad, I believe he will, he will let you come back. He'll love you. Give it a try. Give it a try. Tell him I sent you. Tell your dad the pastor sent you. Tell him Brother Eric told you to do it. Let's give it a try. Let's be agents of reconciliation. If you're lost today, you want to trust Christ. You come and experience reconciliation with the Father.